This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musicians. Coming to you this week from the Pacific Palisades inside Five Cat Studios. This is Score the Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Holmes, with my co-host, Robert Kraft. Five Cat Studios, where we were told earlier today there are three poodles. And no more cats. You do the math. No sneezing. Uh, but we're here with John Powell today. He's going to be coming in just a little bit. He has done such a wide variety of incredible music, animated music, born supremacy music, and he just did the new Star Wars movie, Solo. So he's just... Yeah, May 25th. A huge talent. We're so lucky to be with him. Oscar-nominated composer for uh, How to Train Your, Train Your Dragon as well. I uh, want to introduce our executive producer as well, Matt Schrader. Hey, guys. How cool to be here in this uh, studio. What a little construction outside, but what a studio. Three. Yeah. Stories here, yeah, and a view of the ocean. We're overlooking Malibu-ish, yeah. Santa Monica, basically on top of the world out here. The irony about composers like John, who live in these great rooms and great locations, is they spend so much time facing their keyboard that I wonder sometimes, do they ever get a chance to look up out these windows and see the beautiful view? Yeah. Because it's a lot of natural light in here. So hard to be a composer. Uh, also coming up in today's episode, a brand new episode of uh, The Inside Track featuring music psychologist Dr. Sulan Tan, who you remember from the documentary score, a film music documentary. Um, today's episode talks about the twos and threes and what composers look for in the cadence really of their interesting. scores. Kind of the fundamental rhythm of music. Marches and Specifically how that's and... used in film. That's really remarkable. I'd like to hear that. I f- was thinking you were going to talk about the terrible twos, you know, when the kid is in that. <laughs> She's going to give parenting mode. advice. I, well, she, she is a music therapist, so. Uh, no, so that's really cool coming up. And uh, also another chance for the listeners to win a fabulous prize as we play Name That Score. Matt, what's the topic today? Our topic today is uh, animated films. Animated Some of the films. great animated scores uh, going way back. Uh, well, going back at least, but uh, a lot of them in the last cu- maybe couple decades um, and before. Maybe that. even a John Powell score in oh, there. Oh, John Powell's such a great animated composer. So many good ones, yep. You know, everybody's trying to become a composer these days. I read just a couple days ago there was an article in Billboard, I believe, about Dead Mouse, who's a big DJ. A lot of people know him. He wears You know, the big, mouse the big ears. ears, yeah. Yep. And uh, I've actually seen him. I saw him perform. He has come out with a new record, which is all orchestral. Yeah. I think it's part of his bid to be seen as more than just an EDM DJ and maybe get consideration for film composing. And I find it a an entirely... Uh, it, it's a really interesting area to, to watch people come from pop music yeah. and cross over to film. Well, over the years, he's he's said, uh, whether it be on his Instagram or little hints, and now in this article, that he's trying to make a bid to, to get into the film music world. And I think he was even quoted saying, I'm talking the talk, I'm not just walking the walk. Um, the, the album is actually called Where's the Drop, which is kind of a joke <laughs> on the fact that it's not an EDM record even though he's normally putting out these yeah. these big Is it EDM. difficult to... Robert, you've seen pop artists try to transition, I guess, into this industry and put their musical talents to film. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> it's un- but what, what are the keys polite. to this to this working? Well, I think the fundamental difference is it's almost as if, if you were a painter and you are Picasso and you're painting your painting for you, and expressing yourself for an audience. That's a very singular and solitary activity, and it has very specific boundaries as to who could even possibly give you any notes on what you've painted. However, 
so the same is, of course, if you're making your own record, you're a singer-songwriter, right. you're an EDM artist, you're a rock band, you're making your record, you're making it on your schedule. The record company and you were talking about a release. It might be this week. It might be next month. It's it kind of my way or the highway. Exactly. The biggest difference that I think pop stars find, and I've worked with a number of amazing recording artists on film music, the first thing that they have to confront is the director comes in and says, I'm not sure that works. <laughs> and they have to take a deep breath. And I've seen some of them take a deep breath and say, okay, let me work on it. And I've seen some say, that's the way it goes, bud. That's my cue. Because that's what they're used to. They've spent years making their own records. So, of course, we have examples of... Danny Elfman was in Oingo Boingo, and he crossed over. Trent Reznor did a wonderful thing and paired with Atticus Ross, who we knew from Nine Inch Nails, but Atticus had scored movies, so there was a natural affinity there for how to work it. Um, when Daft Punk was asked right. to score Tron, they had Joe Trapanese come in and work with them. So there are ways to bridge the gap, but I think... You think you need that person sometimes to I, help navigate... Absolutely. Navigate not only the politics, but the technical aspects. Scoring a film is a, it's highly technical. You're you're not building your own house. You're building a skyscraper with a lot of other people. Do you think there's a career risk there? Because if you get into this, it's obviously going to create a big spotlight on you before the score comes out. And so I feel like the critics might be even extra critical if you're trying to step into something and maybe you're, you know, a community that you don't before then belong to and you're trying to come in and say, I can do this. It's like someone saying, I could do that job. And then you come in and if it works, great. Trent Reznor, you win an Oscar and you get more jobs. But if it doesn't, what happens then? Yeah, you're kind of a, a man without a country in some ways because you, your EDM fans may think you've kind of gone over to the other side and the film composing community, listen, you have film composers that have spent decades honing their craft so to just say oh i can do that you're always taking a risk i think i'm a huge fan of risk and careers and in art and trying things but it's a dangerous step without a lot of research a lot of assistance so i don't know if dead mouse can make the leap and maybe somebody will give them a shot and we'll find out well it sounds really cool the album's on title now and they're going to release a, a vinyl but from what i've heard of it it sounds pretty cool but when we were doing score a film music documentary one of the big agents we interviewed uh i think off camera we asked who would be a great artist to score a film and he said kanye west except for when the director tries to tell him what to do and so it'll probably Perfect. never happen um so it, like you said it's kind of going your own way and and being told what to do, the, the differences between that probably get in the way of that. There is one other person in our film score who I just realized successfully made this transition and it took him a while to convince, I think, everyone and get himself positioned where he was taken seriously. And Trevor now, Rabin? Well, Trevor actually, oh. you're right. You, that's a good, I'd forgotten him. Certainly played guitar and yes, and crossed over, I was thinking of Junkie XL. Oh, yeah. Who, when I first met him, was a DJ who wanted to do film music, and I might have said, yeah, sure, let me know how that works out. Here he is doing Mad Max and fantastic movies, and he's a brilliant composer. Deadpool, yeah. Right, he really worked on becoming a composer. Awesome. Well, uh, we're really excited about our guest today. We're here in his studio, and or a reminder, May 25th, Solo comes out. He's going to be joining us coming up after the break. Yeah, we're going to talk like. to him about that and also some of his other hits, his Oscar-nominated score for How to Train Your Dragon and uh, much more. Stick around. John Powell's next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Hey, Mesh Raider here. We're back to the show in 15 seconds, but a quick thank you to everyone who's been telling a friend about Score the Podcast. We're one of the fastest growing entertainment podcasts out there right now, and that's thanks to you telling a friend. You're probably thinking of somebody else right now that enjoy the show. If it's safe to do so, hit pause and let them know about Score the Podcast. It helps keep this show going. Now back to the show. Hey, welcome back. We're here with John Powell in his incredible studio. It's a studio that I have a lot of fond memories of because John and I, we worked on a number of amazing projects in here. We did. And some that weren't so amazing, but we got through them, if I'm not mistaken. It's all a gig, Robert. It's It's just a a gig. gig. And there's a destination, which is deliver the score in time for the movie to come out. And luckily, I had the privilege of watching John work sometimes much to my amazement, solving issues that I thought were, is the word unsolvable? (laughs) Because I have memories, and maybe we'll get to it, of certain assignments that you got that I thought, "Mm, this won't work. And you (laughs) somehow always knocked it out. I mean, the the list of movies is pretty remarkable. Of course, How to Train Your Dragon. Oscar-nominated score. And uh, all the Bourne series. And Happy Feet, which I know you went to Australia. I remember you were gone for a while. We needed you here for something, and you were there. X-Men, which is a lot of fun. Ice Age was great, doing the Ice Age movies together. And Solo, coming out on uh, May 25th. Yep. That's amazing. We should maybe start with a question about Solo. I'm sure you're going to be asked this if you already haven't been asked this. But needless to say, you're inheriting some large shoes. Uh, doing this kind of motion picture. And, and I don't know I, if you ever have spoken to John Williams about it. I'd be curious. Does he bless the proceedings? <laughs> Does he stay a million miles away? Well, the thing that people are sort of going to be interested in, I think, is that uh, he wrote tunes for this. Mm. Oh. And uh, we demoed them at the beginning of the year. Um, I met, you know, we all met together at the end of last year. We being the filmmaker, yeah. uh, Ron Howard and uh, John and um, and I, we came here and we sort of looked through the movie and we spotted the movie together. Amazing. Um, I mean, I, I'd always said this. I said, if we're going to do a movie, um, can we get Yoda? You know, so <laughs> effectively, it's having Yoda in. Hmm. Um, you know, so <laughs> You're right. He is. So, and I thought maybe he, you know, I knew he was going to write a tune. Uh, but he he wrote a couple of themes that uh, just that were so wonderful and instantly kind of unlocked the film for me that I just took them and you know he did some demos he did a few cues here and there tried them out um, filmmakers everybody loved it of course it was working brilliantly so I just took that um, and ran with it and, and it's all over the movie his his music is all over the movie in lots of different versions that perhaps he would have done or did, perhaps he wouldn't have done did you sure. know he was going to be a part of it. When yes. you signed on? Yes, that's why I signed on. Oh, wow. <laughs> and just out of curiosity, when John Williams does a demo, does he come in with an orchestrated demo, a piano theme? How elaborate is a John Williams demo? Um, well, I did have this uh, sort of out-of-body experience of going to his house and, and getting to sit there while he played um, <sighs> you know, these themes for me. And only me, he, he, was, he was incredibly uh, um, kind and respectful. Um, and... Uh, you know, so the two of us just just had a an hour together, just playing around, and then he played it to the director on another occasion, and then we went <laughs> we went into Sony uh, with full orchestra uh, uh, and uh, and did his demos. Oh God, that's lovely. <laughs> that's indulgent. It's yeah. a interesting thing to hear about the spotting because I have a quote here that John Williams said: "The process of spotting with Star Wars is a very simple one." We just decide that when the film starts, the orchestra will play, and when the film ends, the orchestra will stop. <laughs> yeah, is that wall to wall? Was it was it wall to wall? Maybe not quite as much as the traditional um, Star Wars films, but um, there's plenty of music in it. Yes, I mean it's, a, it's more than I'm used to. And so, it was Abbey Road. Yes, we went to Abbey Road. Did John Williams come with you? No, no, no he, he 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 couldn't come. But yeah. um, you know he's. He's. I was in touch with him all along, and one of the interesting things that he did as well was was basically tell me to stop being too sort of reverent. Uh, 
mm. of things uh, because I, I was I was trying to I, in the score I really am trying to sort of pick up the the lineage pick up the the arc of the piece you know of the canon and and um, and it became it became inhibiting perhaps uh, and eventually John himself said to me he said uh, you know you you do a different thing don't worry. You know, it's so going to be different. You know, so. And very uh, freeing, hopefully. It is. I mean, the thing to remember, though, is, is of course, is I'm, I was hugely influenced by him. So it's there in the, in the DNA of what I do anyway. I mean, sometimes more obviously than others, perhaps. And in this case, obviously, I was using themes that were old themes as well. So we used some of the old themes. And we used these new themes of John's and themes that I wrote. And it's all mixed together it's, it's do, you, do you feel the pressure being a part of this family now there's a you know the star wars fans are they're critics and you're kind of in the driver's seat now of of the next piece of that puzzle do you feel that pressure uh, hugely yeah i mean it it stopped me from being i you know i i had very many sleepless nights and uh um, several days where nothing would come out as they, mm. you know you're sitting there and nothing came out and it and it it was all a sort of a a fog of war until really we did the sessions with John and I just heard it pop up in the orchestra work immediately and it kind of and him then saying to me you do what you do you know and and uh, and he sort of picked me in a way you know he he had an a you know sort of a a lot of advice to give the filmmakers of who might work well so with that I think I just felt right I've got some material I've written I've got this material I need to get on with it as well. It kind of was a blessing then, in a roundabout way. Like, do your thing. Yes. And he literally passed the baton. I mean, that's yeah. what the... Yeah. I think the the thing that will be interesting, which I've noticed about Star Wars over the years, is it's not only the thematic stuff, which is, of course, the greatest thematic material ever written for film, but frankly, the way that he orchestrates and arranges cues, they fill up the space in a very unique way. And it would seem that that would be as critical a part of scoring a Star Wars film as to to either repeat that kind of orchestration and arrangement or very consciously go away from it. I'm just aware that that's such a big part of his sound. It is. It's um, it's harmonically incredibly fluid as well. Nobody does that anymore. It's it's very hard to do. Um, he's writing you know polyphonic music as well, and the rest of us are sort of stuck in this kind of keyboard player mode, I think. Um, so it was very hard to break out of that when I needed to, but I'm, I'm not quite sure, honestly, what the end result is. I mean, I hope that everyone will enjoy it, um, but it's a, it's an amalgam. I mean, it's it's there'll be moments when you think that's John Williams and it is, and there'll be moments you think when it's John Williams and it isn't, and then there'll be moments when you think that's Powell and it, and it isn't. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and it isn't. And there'll be moments where you hear what I call reminiscence therapy, which is there's, we lifted bits of film, uh, bits of the original films. There's a few scenes where we, visually it was, it was uh, giving me these kind of uh, memories of the film, so I just took the music and I and we put them in. <laughs> so it's, it's it's a couple of bits that are lifted straight out of it, and I've done, you know, some of it's absolutely as it was, and some of it I hyped up a bit, and people might hate that, they might like it, I don't know. Um, the idea was to get the main criteria that I worked to was uh, in 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 answer to your question is is to get flow, and mm. that's what he has. I think he has this; it's always flowing forward. Um, it's not just pulsing forward like most of the scores that we have to do these days. Um, it flows forward. I mean, it's much harder to do. Um, it takes a lot more technique, I think. Whether I've done it or not, I'm not sure, but I gave it a damn good ch- uh, try. I'm pretty so, you know. certain. Just my guess is you nailed it. Well, I'm, I'm excited. Me too, and you, you know uh, it's going to be great. A billion sold. It's interesting you mentioned flowing versus pulsing because when you think about a pulsing cue... In this century, you think about. <laughs> Was that the real cue? Oh, there it is. This is from the original, Born Identity. <laughs> I was always curious about that cue. I've had to tell other composers to stop immediately and write a different cue because that's 
about an eighth note away from John Powell's Born identity <laughs> theme. I know you must hear that cue in a lot of movies, kind of written sideways. I'm just curious, was there a minute that, that you were at the keyboard, that you were watching the movie, that you were walking in your driveway back from the car and you heard what where did that come from do you remember um well it comes from schubert's unfinished symphony okay <laughs> that's good. that's good i i you know it's sincere flattery yeah. is sincere and it comes from, it comes from so many sources doesn't it i mean it's, there's nothing original about it i think if you look to all the parts of um, born there's nothing Original in You're any modest. bits of them, it's just no. But if you put them all together, they become a thing, mm-hmm. you know. And and, and I, I just got lucky to work with a director who was asking for something that was different. Hmm. And I so I just wrote everything kind of the opposite of how I'd been told to write it, as it were, hmm. uh, by what was around at the time, including you know a st- styles of my own, uh, which I'd been part of with hands and the, the sort of them at the time media ventures, which is now remote control, that sort of style. What style would you say? B- everything big, huge, ambient, you know, giant. Um, and hmm. so I just decided to go the opposite way. And, we, and and in talking to Doug Lyman, part of it was, you know. You know how much we we liked spy films from the seventies together. You know, so the Icarus file, Icarus files, and uh, you know John Barry sort of scores. And, mm-hmm. and um, if you look at, you know, uh, you know lots of films that, like that, it's amazing how little music's in them. <laughs> That's one of the things that nobody realizes. And if you look at, you know, at the time, music for any thriller. Um, any kind of action film in in Hollywood, it, it was endless music. You know, obviously, you know the sort of Bruckheimer style was to absolutely keep going the whole way again, mm. which has been a, a sort of a a common feature in and out of scores for forever. Really, I mean, some are, are very minimal, some are, are very uh, maximum. And in this case, I wanted to try and pull it back and and have less music in it and and make the music different that's all and he wanted and, and doug wanted it to be different so did it did it come right to you or was there a process where you were sleepless nights similar to what you were saying about solo did no, did you it, know something the direction you were going to head right away not the direction i was i just knew where i was heading away from so i just turned around and went the other way what's interesting though is is that if it's minimal in approach, it also has kind of maximum impact. It's hard to articulate that exactly what what I feel, but that cue and that feeling in Born might be less than the wall-to-wall incredible wallpapering of the movie, but the cues mean something in a new way. So maybe it's reducing the number of cues or the expanse of the cues, but they have great import. Yeah, I one of, one of the things I always said to Matt Damon when I met him was that um, I owed my career to his ass. Ah, nice. The way because the way he walked, so thoughtful. <laughs> it, well, it was. It's, you know, it was, there was, and it was Doug Lyman said to me it was it was that cue he played as the bank heist. He's he's just he's coming out of the bank, and I'd written really kind of fast action music, and and Doug Lyman looked at me. He goes, "Why the hell are you doing that?" I said, "Because he's getting away." He goes, "Look at him." Look what he's doing. I said, he's getting away. He said, no, no, he's not getting away. He's walking away. <laughs> I love that. And so <laughs> suddenly realized that was, that, was, that was the character that was different about uh, you know, him. He, he had this confidence, which he knew not from where it came, but he had this confidence to slow down at the times when everybody else would scramble. And that was, just, I think, the key piece of music that I had to find for him. And that's where that it's interesting. I, I was in, uh, I was overseas recently doing something in film music, and I was asked by a student about another cue in Bourne. I just remembered this: the opening scene where he's in the water and they're on the boat. Is it a bassoon? I was asked, "What did I know? What the instrument was?" Yeah. Is it a bassoon? It's a bassoon. Yeah. Played high. Yes. Yes. Just um, you know, one of the things was that I think I had it on a bass guitar. If you listen on the album, there's a there's a version of the cue that's got me playing a bass guitar really high um, and kind of ambient sounding. And that was originally how it was. But when we got it into the <laughs> onto the dub stage, there was simply so much sound effects that we could never get it through at all. You know, so it became the bassoon, really, to cut through. 
It I feels Middle it Eastern. Is this it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I thought it was a Middle Eastern well, instrument it, first. It's a bassoon in a use in a way that you could use a duduk, which right. is actually really a clarinet. And it's that kind of scale, whatever that is. Um, Lydian, I'm going to guess because I don't know, but it sounds really impressive to say Lydian. Um, I I never quite know. I mean, my mod, my modal writing is is constant, but it's very kind of it's very flexible. Yeah. <laughs> um, we worked on a number of films together. Great joy for me, of course. X Men, Drumline, Rio, Ice Age mm. two and three, and I had the privilege of sitting behind you often when you were on your keyboard and sitting at your rig writing. And one thing that I always was amazed by, you approached cues not from, I'm going to start here and see where it goes. It always felt like you had a concept. Is that, I simply was in lucky moments? Yes. I mean, the the concept would be um, try and find a concept. Okay. <laughs> Um, so look for at least concept. I didn't, I didn't really like starting and just going because it could, you know, stuff flows that way. You can, you can get it out. And, and in a way, my, in the beginning, I do that. So I just kind of write and write and write and it just comes out. And then you go back and you look and you see, well, that's interesting and that's interesting and throw the rest of it out. Mm -hmm. So now we take that material. Well, what could that material represent within the arc of the story? So... It's not really light motif. It's just trying to find form. I think that's all, um, and it does me good sometimes, and it does me no good other times because you know filmmakers don't need you to try and find sort of rig rigorous comp compositional technique <laughs> within. They don't need it. But for me, I, I always liked um, sort of the idea of uh, connecting tunes with character, not the characters, but the character of the movie. Um, I'm, I'm probably not as good at, at finding music for characters as lots of other composers, but I think I try and find a a set of um, a set of values for the music that that's is amazing. holistic. I hope, and maybe that's it. That was the holistic thing: is that you seem to approach it in a not. I'm just going to write for this character or this scene. It was very connected. Even the approach, you know, there's a great thing online of you working with the Ice Age scene with Sid and all those little whatever they're called. And yeah. and uh, you demonstrate how you took Edie Lehman's voices and vocals. But it also shows you constructing a cue in a whole way. It's not just this happens and this happens. You took things and you layered them and you built all together. And it's really remarkable. I don't know a lot of other composers that are that facile with building the entire cue simultaneously it was really remarkable to watch i i've always liked music as story anyway i think i think ultimately i was attracted to music it was telling a story that i had in my head and if you look at um this is my problem with bruckner is that i love the music for 30 seconds and but it doesn't seem to be going anywhere whereas if i listen to sibelius he's telling a story you know it may mm -hmm. not be as big and grand as bruckner but leads you um, and so that organization that is the form you know so that you can look at any of these great composers and you can see very very specific form going on but obviously they also break that form that's the important thing is that is the we get used to the idea of you know song form you, so if you have a song form in your head um, it's time to break it when it's the right time and that's that's about knowing you know uh, somebody was telling me that Mozart used to write top lines as well. We were talk <laughs> just talking about Bernstein. And um, he he wrote a lot of top lines for things, and uh, just top and bass, that's all. He didn't get too, you know, too much into the details. Again, so he could get the flow going. Um, and, and the flow is what tells the story, I think. I mean, it, it's easy if you're Mozart and you can just keep going like that, and it can be incredibly inventive. I'm inventive three seconds at a time, very slowly. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm, you may have observed me being quick at it, but I probably did. I probably got all a, a lot of that homework done beforehand before you were seeing me. So if I needed to uh, bend and twist a theme, I knew I'd all, I'd thrown out seven themes, so I had the one that I thought I could use to bend and twist the right way. It's interesting you mentioned about the storytelling aspect because I once said to Hans 
composers need to be two things. They need to be pretty musical, but very diplomatic. I said those were the two skills that composers need. Mm-hmm. He said there's a third skill, and I've always treasured this response. He said, it's yes, you need to be musical. Yes, you need to be diplomatic, but you need to be a storyteller mm-hmm. with music. And I thought, of course, I... I hadn't really thought about that, but that's what makes the great composers is they do tell stories. Well, yes. I mean, the wonderful vagary of a of a symphony means you can tell your own story within it, and that's what I think we love from music. It's, it's this uh, extraordinarily wide um, understanding that everybody has of the same material. It's, it can be anything to anybody. Um, but it always seems to have to have some kind of thread that the composer at least put in there whether it's the thread that you're getting from it it doesn't matter but it's just it's like it's like the framework that allows you to progress your own your your own story through it it's it's the driving sometimes like a narration almost of of the movie without words yeah um we're going to take a quick break uh coming up after the break we're going to talk to john about his oscar nominated score for how to train your dragon Um, but first our new segment the inside track Side track with music psychologist Dr. Sulan Tan. Much of Western music is organized into groups of two beats or groups of three beats. Here's a piece with a two-beat pattern: one, two, one, two. Here's another in two beats. What if Darth Vader came marching out to this music? To figure out why Darth Vader doesn't make an entrance to a Strauss waltz, we can explore the connotations of two-beat and three-beat groupings in music. Research studies have shown that even infants under one year old are more sensitive to two-beat patterns in music than three-beat patterns. Because our bodies are symmetrical and we have two arms and two legs, the feeling of the two-beat pattern might be the most fundamental. We feel it first when we're crawling and then when we're walking. And it's the natural rhythm of many forms of physical labor, like digging, chopping wood, or pulling up a rope, hand over hand, right, left, right, left. The movie Frozen opens with a song of the ice workers in Arendelle. We first hear the two-beat pattern of their tools hitting the ice. Born of cold and winter air and mountain rain combining This icy force both foul and fair as a frozen harbor mining So two-beat patterns fit the natural symmetrical rhythms of marches including Darth Vader's Imperial March and physical labor. Whereas three-beat patterns are asymmetrical, fitting in one more extra step, which adds a bounce. It's the pattern of waltzes. Michael Giacchino's theme for the film Up is in this waltz pattern. You can hear the one, two, three, um, cha, cha, um, cha, cha, in the accompaniment. One of my favorite parts in Up is the Married Life montage, a film within a film, chronicling Carl and Ellie's life together. The um cha cha is strong in the first half of the montage, but it stops at the point when we see Carl's many neckties showing the decades passing by. And the um cha cha vanishes at that point because Carl and Ellie are now much older and some of the bounce in their step is gone. As Ellie's in the hospital, we hear the theme on one lone instrument. At the end, there's only Carl. As he turns and walks up the steps to the house alone, the three-beat feeling of the waltz has weakened. The two alternating chords evoke tick, talk, tick, talk, tick. 
And so we see film composers have great instincts for feeling the pulse of a scene and sensing whether characters' lives are lived as marches or waltzes. Dr. Sulan Tan is a leading researcher in the study of film music and the author of many books, including her latest, Psychology of Music, From Sound to Significance, available now at score-movie.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. We're here in John Powell's beautiful studio on a wonderful Pacific Palisades day. It's, uh, you can't see it in here. Well, maybe we can post a picture, but there's actually part of the studio that's a glass floor, and I felt like I was tiptoeing. That won't break, right, if we stand on that? No, I've, I've, <laughs> I've had a 400-pound a uh, tenor on there. Oh, nice. good. Okay. Yeah, he, he sang with a lot of tremolo, but... <laughs> we just heard a little piece of How to Train Your Dragon, which is John's Oscar-nominated theme. Uh, you were robbed. I can't remember who won. <laughs> it just, was Facebook, wasn't it? Or was it Trent? Oh, Trent Atticus. Yeah, good. it was a great score. It's an honor to be nominated. Yeah. That's what they say. Exactly. Um, when, when when we heard that, Hans was next to me. He turned around to me and made the L sign on my on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good place to be a loser in the Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, I know that you and I have done a lot with animation. And often when animated films come up, someone says in the room, can we get John Powell? Because you've done so many incredibly successful animated films. I often tell this story that... Composers come to me and say, I'd like to get started with film composing. I want something simple. Is there an animated film you know of that I can do? <laughs> to which I always say, you're out of your mind. They're the most difficult. Do you find animated films more challenging than live action? Um, challenging. They're challenging in different ways. Um, if, if you find holding yourself back and being very simple and and making sure that you're not making big statements and that the music is very very minimal then i find that a challenge in live action mm. so i'm not good at that mm. i mean I, i've done it and i can do it but it's it's like trying to clench your buttocks too tightly for mm-hmm. three months <laughs> it's just it's really hard for me so the good thing for animation about me is it's it lets me go a little bit so Obviously, that can be bad at times, and so I have to I have to manage my expectations of being able to kind of explode all over the film. But I I do I love the joy of them, and 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 to tell you the truth, I love the art of it. Um, I do find animation itself uh, a great art um, that I've always loved ever since the first time I saw Mowgli walk in in the original Jungle Book. If you ever want to see sort of moving art, it's as great an art as ever uh, I've seen. Uh, by anybody i mean there's some there, there's bits in i remember doing horton here's a who and there was one scene in the, in the animation section came in with the mayor and he was he just has to walk into a room and do something very simple and it was just extraordinarily beautifully done it's, you could it captured everything that you'd ever want to see from um to understand um how it is to be human and how it is to move and how it is to observe people and so the art of animation has always been very attractive to me. And, of course, it's not all fighting all the time. It's not violent. It's not, you know, constantly, you know, promoting the idea of warriors, which I, I hate about so many live-action films. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I was attracted to it automatically. And so if it is t- if it's tougher to do technically, I'll put up with that for all these other great reasons that I enjoy it. Is there a, a moment for you, because oftentimes you're, you're scoring to concept art or, or unfinished pieces, but when you see what you've written come to life with the actual animation, is that a different moment for you, or do you ever have to step back and want to make changes? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, you know, you get to the premiere and you go, oh, 
that's what happens. <laughs> and I could have done that so much better if I'd known. But <laughs> no, there's there's an element of about it, which is, yeah, you have to take some guesses. But the trick is to hold hold everything kind of spinning as late as you can. So mm. to try and get as many of the cues up and running and you keep improving them, improving them as the film comes in until the last minute. And, you know, it's, it's hellish on, on everybody else as far as because they get very nervous. It's like, when are we going to finish this cue? When are the orchestrators going to get it? How will we record it next week, given that you still haven't finished sort of seven of these cues? It's like, well, until, the, until I, you know, I'm about to get the latest version and then suddenly it all clicks and you can see enough that you can really, you can really make it work. We worked on... Uh, a couple films where you really experimented sonically. I was reminded walking in here, and, and it's a funny memory. I don't know if we used the material from the Blue Man Group, but we definitely went... Some of it, yeah. Did we use it? Yeah. And, and yeah. remind me, we went to New York, to yeah. their warehouse. What was that for? That was for robots. For robots. Yeah, and they were fantastic. Yeah. And you wanted the PVC sounds? It was a whole mixture of things, yeah. Oh, I mean, right. They made some lots of metal stuff as well. They kind of got the blowtorches out. They <laughs> actually right. made a load of stuff. It's fantastic. And, yeah. and some of it I sampled, and some of it we did loops, and I would introduce the loops into things, and it's it's in there. Um, and then I think we came back, and they they brought some stuff for a session, and we kind of we we played a bit more stuff on top. And uh, so, did you see him in Vegas? How did that idea come about? In um, good question. I think it was. I was I, I must have seen them. I think probably and and remember thinking this is a, a wonderful sound, and then there was an, there's another group that we eventually used on um, on Rio too, hmm. uh, with a similar kind of unusual percussion. And I'd always been into lots and lots of unusual percussion. So I think when it came up, you always ask your question: Is there something unique we can bring to the score, especially when it was an unusual score? And I remember Chris Wedge, the director. You know, was really, really keen to to try some stuff, and I think it's you know, like a lot of these things, you just spew it. It pops out your mouth at the meeting. The and uh, Blue Man is so industrial sounding, so it kind of yeah. fits with that metal robot yes. feel. Yeah, yeah, and we did some wonderful recording on Rio with also very authentic Brazilian sounds and musicians. Yes, that was a real treat. That was, yes. Um, I mean, it started really with having a Brazilian director helped. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And then you guys brought in, you know, Sergio Mendes. Yeah, that was great. Uh, and then to all this Brazilianness, you throw a an English bloke <laughs> who knew, who knew nothing perfect. of it. And Carlinhos Brown. Carlinhos Brown. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and after the break, it's time for the game. Name, Name that, that score. score. We're going to play right after this. <laughs> Stick around. Hey, Matt Schrader here, director of SCORE, of film music documentary. For the latest news from the film music world, follow us on Facebook. Just search SCORE, a film music documentary. Or let us know who you want to hear next on the show on Twitter, at SCORE the podcast. Welcome back to Five Cat Studios. We're inside the studios of John Powell. A great show so far, and it's only getting better as we're getting ready to play the game. Get ready to play Name That Score! The film music game where a perfect score means you, yes you, could be a winner! Now let's play Name That Score! Alright, step right up. Uh, today's theme <laughs> is uh, animated films. Uh, we have John Powell here. the maestro of animated oh, films. A, uh, a quick, uh, the rules are pretty simple here. We'll play five famous film scores, but in reverse, Robert Kenny and our guest John Powell will pick from three multiple choice answers. The highest score wins. The last question is worth double. And if anybody sweeps the table, gets all five questions right, we give away a prize on our Twitter account at score the podcast. Just mention Hashtag name that score to enter. And today's theme is animated film scores. So we have a selection of some from the last uh, nice. couple decades and a few from older than that. Uh, composers and the titles. Did John of write any of them? Is that a giveaway? I guess I we'll ask? find out. I guess we're going to find out. Uh, question number one. And, and again, the, uh, the scores here are backwards. So you got to listen to the texture of these a little bit, but uh, and we'll you'll give notice you the right answer you'll after. notice the strategy of Robert Kraft, which is he doesn't even pick. <laughs> he just, just goes. What John said. 
That's it. So, John, just please, <laughs> please choose wisely because my point score is dependent upon you. Question number one. Our options for this one are Brave, Patrick Doyle, The Lego Movie, Mark Mothersbaugh, or How to Train Your Dragon by our guest here in the studio. Want to hear it again? Please. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say I feel like John would know his own song backwards, so it can't be How to Train Your Dragon, unless, unless you're putting us on here. It sounds like it's, it sounds like dragon. It sounds like test drive, but I mean, in theory, it should be test drive. But I wouldn't put it past me not really knowing it backwards. I I don't think it's making me realise I should do more retrograde study of my (laughs) own tunes. Our options again: Brave, the Lego Movie, and How to Train Your Dragon. I'm going to say Brave. Kenny's going with Brave. Brave. Robert's also going with Brave. Somebody said brave, so John, I'm going with it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say test drive just in case it is. <laughs> Let's see if you guys recognize this forwards. Oh, John Powell identifying. He knew it the whole time. He, see, that he, I was thrown off. <laughs> the fact that John, I had no idea of clerks, I'm just guessing, but the fact that John didn't go, I know that immediately. I thought, ooh, and when he gave that kind of coy, I don't know, it could be mine. <laughs> this is, okay, now we're getting competitive. Uh, Here we go. Kenny and Robert. Thank you so much. <laughs> Question number two. I'll give you the answers here first. Is this from Aladdin by Alan Menken? Toy Story, Randy Newman, The Incredibles, Michael Giacchino. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody have an answer? Yeah, Toy Story. Toy Story. It's such Randy, those Randy Newman chords, backwards yeah. and forwards. You never know with this game. Sometimes you, uh, it's a little tricky. We're going Randy Newman. All right. Points for uh, everybody on that one. Question number three. Is this from Madagascar by Hans Zimmer? Monsters, Inc., Randy Newman. Big Hero 6 by Henry Jackman. One more time. Answers. I'm going to let Robert, Robert, why don't you go first? I'm going to say, because it's the only title I can remember, Madagascar. Madagascar is what So it's probably Giacchino. I'm going to go with Henry Jackman. Big Hero 6, Kenny? Yes. And John? Madagascar. We do have a winner. But Kenny and Robert is not either of you guys. It's Madagascar. I said Madagascar. He did. He did say that. Oh, yeah. I'm All taking right. those I retroactively points. take Robert, back the buzzer. Robert, I think that might be your first There's correct your points, answer Robert. that you picked first. <laughs> it was good. I listen, it's a one out of three shot. So This right. is a big uh, step in, in yeah, the history of, of Name That guessing. Score. All right, question number four uh, gets a little bit more difficult now. Uh, is this from The Secret Life of Pets by Alexander Desplat? Frozen, Christoph Beck, or Up, Michael Giacchino? I think it might be my easiest one. Same, because it probably sounds the same forward as backwards. It was, first of all, that muted trumpet. It's up by Giacchino. I'm going up as well. I mean, there's a lot of muted trumpet in um, Alexander's score. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> was that a was that a final answer? Are you going with Alexander to spot? <laughs> No, I'm going to go with up. (laughs) (laughs) Very cagey. Everybody's a winner on that one. It is. Were you trying to get us to change our answer? So what? (laughs) Very competitive. All right. So John is perfect. He's a perfect uh, four for four so far. We're moving on to question five. This is worth double. Uh, (laughs) So is this from the original Ice Age? The Little Mermaid, or Finding Nemo? Hmm. 
The Little Mermaid. John says The Little Mermaid. Boldly goes first. And, uh, Are you guys going to piggyback? I mean, I, I think I'm, <laughs> I got I to gotta go with it. He seemed really confident. He was nodding during the queue. Can I change my answer there? You oh, sure no. Can. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going Nemo. And I mean, I'm rooting for John because he's, he's going to win a prize if he gets I'm it right. And I'm going to be embarrassed if it's Little Mermaid. But you, saying, and you worked on Little Mermaid, I sure so you did. would know. I, I, yeah, that, those, that sentence has two halves to it. <laughs> yes, I worked on Little Mermaid. Would I know? You'd think, but I didn't orchestrally. I better, I'm sticking my foot in my mouth. I'm going Nemo. Nemo for Robert, Kenny. Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid, John Little Mermaid. Robert, see if you recognize this forward. Oh, please. <laughs> How embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. I wanted you guys to win. It was actually, <laughs> it was a That move. was very thoughtful. I pulled the Robert Kraft move and, and stole John's answer. Yeah. So that means uh, John Powell uh, went perfect in this game. Five for five. We are going to give away a prize. All so right. Be on our Twitter accounts, and we'll play our end theme here. You just won something fabulous from one of our viewers. Make sure to follow us at Score the Podcast. A convertible Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like five pounds of cheese based on that music. <laughs> Only five? Matt actually wrote that cue. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if only. I'm going to be driving home thinking, how could I miss a Little Mermaid cue? Hey, well, I said my favorite score was Danny Elfman's Batman, and I whiffed on it right okay, after. We're even. So, John, I have one question I wanted to ask you. We've talked about some different sounds. You've you've created sounds that run the gamut. There are all kinds of different things, um, and you seem to take joy in discovering those kind of new sounds. Is there anything really, really strange and adventurous and uh, pushing the limits of what even you thought you could make music out of that you recall from your career? Well, just to tease everyone a bit, um, while we were in Abbey Road doing uh, solo, I <laughs> had all the brass section play Vuvuzelas. Oh. That's, See if you can spot that, that. that's the soccer. Yeah, that's yeah. the South African the, yeah. Olympics thing. Yeah. Admittedly, they all can have you play, drinks in their hands. I, I well. won't give anything away, but can you play one in tune? Or is it one note? Well, we probably had, you know, the greatest brass players in the world. The greatest players in the world. And strangely enough, the Vuvuzelas for them proved to be quite um, a challenge. It was great. Well, I had to get them drunk to do it, really. Ah, that's funny. (laughs) We'll look forward to that. Yeah. I wonder where they will appear in solo. Something to look forward to. A great inside tip. May 25th. A great inside tip from our composer, John Powell, who graced us with his presence and his wisdom and his perspective on film composing so many great scores john thanks so much for joining score the podcast a pleasure and uh, we want to remind our listeners uh we're one of the quickest growing film and tv podcasts on apple Podcasts. so please tell a friend subscribe to us and uh, leave us a review if you like what you're hearing also don't forget to follow us on twitter at score the podcast and use that hashtag name that score because we're giving away a prize this week hey kenny it's been great being with you matt thanks so much john i'm robert Kraft. we'll see you next week <laughs>